Let's hit it. Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. We're so honored to welcome on Jack Nicholas's 82nd birthday and 159 days away from National Corvette Day, the pride of the corner of Dexter and Davidson in Detroit, retired legendary coach and educator of over 40 years, a Hall of Fame inductee, Howard Golding. Golding attended Mumford High School, where he played basketball and later graduated from Wayne State University, which interestingly is now coached by former Detroit Northern Star high school teammate of Derek Coleman, Lorenzo Neely. He also has his master's in education. He met his amazing wife of soon to be 50 years at an Oak Park High School basketball game when she was the cheerleading sponsor. And today you will hear the rest of the story. He's coached a lot of games, 615, had a lot of amazing teams in middle school, high school, and at the JUCO levels, was a part of a lot of wins, 353, had a lot of top-ranked teams, including one that was ranked number one in Oakland County at one point, won numerous individual awards. But what he is most proud of was seeing his student-athletes use basketball as a vehicle to see the world and get their degrees, dozens of whom did just that and not only earned college scholarships, but later went on to have professional careers overseas. He was inducted into the Michigan Jewish Sports Hall of Fame and received the Pillar of Excellence Award and coached the Maccabiya games where he helped his team to a gold medal in 1991 in Cleveland, Ohio. He was known as a basketball coach, but not many people know he also coached baseball, has his real estate license, and taught driver's education for a long time. He predictably has Facebook, but he also has TikTok, and you should check out some of his tremendous content that he has put up thanks to his daughters and grandchildren. He was born the same day as Hillary Duff and Steve Largent, and born the same year as Michael Douglas, George Lucas, Al Michaels, Diana Ross, one of the former mayors of New York, we won't name him, Danny DeVito, and NBA Hall of Famer Rick Barry, who will be coming on the show this Monday. Howard, uh, as I said earlier, truly an honor to have you in the Sports Deli podcast where everyone deserves a seat at the table, especially the legend, Howard Golding. The legend. Where do you have that table tennis thing set up in uh, your garage? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I've turned the garage into a man cave and a daughter cave. You can't park a car in there. Not anymore. Yeah, but you don't get any snow or cold, so it doesn't matter. So cold weather there, it's warming up. 21. <laughs> it's up to 21, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. <laughs> don't cheat us out of the four degrees. It's uh, wonderful to be here with you, Mike. And as you know, we together have a bond that goes back a long, long time. Yeah, we're going to share that seventh grade story down the road here in a little bit that uh, you and I have laughed about in the past. Uh, but, I, but I do want to take you back. Um, to the corner of Dexter and Davidson, not quite as popular as the corner of Michigan and Trumbull, which you and I both know was the location of the old Tiger Stadium, which uh, is something that I'll never forget my experiences there. But um, it was different growing up back then. Mumford was different. Uh, that corner was different. Uh, you know, you later grew up in the 60s, you know, as a young man uh, and experienced a lot of things, you know, during that decade. But let's let's go back to your early childhood and and what it was like to be a kid as Howard Golding. Well, Mike, uh, 
when I was nine years old, my father passed away. He was 43 years old. And as you know, that right there creates a bond with you and I, as you've been in a situation similar to that too. So we each had a mother raising a a family. And uh, I kind of got interested in basketball when I was about nine, about 10 years old. And at the corner of Dexter and Davison was a Jewish community center. And uh, they had a league there called the Hanashaus Old Timers. And I got involved in it. Uh, and that's when the basketball bug really bit me because I was pretty good at it when I was 10 years old. In fact, our team was so good. We won the championship. They put up an all-star team of all the other kids, the best from each team to play us. And we still beat them. So, uh, that's outstanding. <laughs> that's, you know, and, and I don't have to tell you the feeling that when you have a passion for the game and the game bites you, mm. it's in, it's in you for the rest of your life. Well, it sounds like sports saved you in a way that it saved me as well. And were you, uh, following basketball back then obviously it was different you know we, we didn't have the kind of resources that we have now to watch players you know we could only listen for the most part on the radio but but who, re- did you I love remember, anyone back then well I remember uh going to the old Olympia a mm-hmm. cousin of mine took me and uh wow. when when the Pistons first came to Detroit and uh they used to play double headers I know that kids today can't understand that So in the first game, it would be like uh, Philadelphia and Boston. In the second game, the nightcap would be the Pistons and the Syracuse Nats. Wow. So I remember seeing that. And, and, uh, of course, they played where the Red Wings played because they didn't have a place. Wow. But go know that one day I would be able to coach a game at the Palace. And uh, that was really a thrill to be able to do that. Man, that that's amazing. Yeah, the old Olympia Stadium, the old Cobo Hall. Um, you know, there were nothing like those those two venues to watch games. Uh, that's for sure. So, uh, how how did you practice back then? Because with a lot of the guests we've talked about in the old days, we used to play street ball, it's and fun. you know, yeah, I mean, we used to just get out, and if you lost, you had to wait a long time to play. You know, so you were really battling to stay on the court. Uh, I remember playing in the winter and I, when we, when we moved from the Dexter neighborhood to Northwest Detroit, I lived next to a, a park called Dyack park on Stansbury and Curtis. It's still there. Wow. And I used to take a shovel and go to that park, shovel off the key. And uh, I'd be the only one in the cold shooting the ball. I mean, without a three point line, of course, there was no three. (laughs) (laughs) No, no three point line. So the game was different because obviously the three point line did change the game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You had that little Bob Cousy one handed shot. I remember watching you in that lunchtime ball with Mr. Sternberg and all the guys at uh, Roosevelt playing. And that, that was something that stood out to me was your little floater and it's it was just a way even now and back then to get your shot off quicker i was always a good shooter you know and uh i i love shooting the ball as many guys do but i was good i was good at it and um 
I practiced all the time. And um, when I tried out for the Mumford team, this is a, this would have been the JV team. There were a hundred kids trying out. And a lot of my friends were trying out also. This is the late fifties, right? This would be about 1959. Mm -hmm. And most of my friends all got cut, but I didn't. So uh, I mean, now Mumford back then was predominantly white. Is that correct? Yeah, but our basketball team was had a lot of black kids on it too. That they came from Royal Oak Township. So uh, now, isn't that interesting, Royal Oak Township, which is where they ended up getting bust into Oak Park? Correct on, on the on the bookend of your your teaching. Isn't that interesting? Right. So, you know, uh, I made the team and uh, I played, and uh, but back then, after practice, I had no one to go home with, so I had to walk. And uh, we didn't have a car in the family. So everything was done on foot. And walking in the winter to and from Mumford wasn't such a around the block thing. It was it was a nice, hefty walk for me. Yeah, I would imagine it would be. But hold on a second. Let, let me let me think out loud here for a second. So in the 50s, you had an integrated team. Correct. Can, can, can you talk about that? Because that's not something I've talked about with anybody because people think of the civil rights era in the 60s. And I'm fascinated by... Uh, the fact that you were uh, integrated, uh, trying out, and did you have friends that were? Uh, Abs- yes, I did. Wow. I had, uh, the team was black. We all got along. Uh, it was basically Jewish kids and black kids. There were never any fights in the hallway, and we all got along real well. And I wow. did have one special friend. His name was Avery Jackson. He was uh, a very light-skinned black kid that lived on uh, Pembroke in Ohio. We became friends, and we remained friends lifelong uh, till he passed away about uh, four years ago. Wow. We were friends and used to visit each other and go to – I remember once he was coming to my house uh, one day after practice. It was an early practice, and he said, am I allowed to be in this neighborhood? And I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, you know, they may not want black people around here. I said, well, oh, come on, just come with me. And he came to my house and my grandmother who lived with us and my mother obviously liked him very much. And we we were lifelong friends. Uh, He went on to become a police officer in the uh, Detroit Police Department. And his father was also a cop. And his father was the highest ranking uh, commander in the Detroit police force. And that goes back probably to the uh, late 40s. Or I was going to say, 50s. that's unbelievable. So his father was in charge of the youth bureau, Avery wow. Jackson Sr. Wow. And uh, my friend Avery has a son that lives in, uh, in the Flint area. And he's a, uh, neuro, uh, a neurosurgeon. And um, I've, I've been in touch with him just recently, uh, talking to him about his father. That's amazing. So, so I haven't ever heard you really talk about your high school coach. What kind of influence did he have on you, if any? None. None. <laughs> none. Okay. Because uh, I don't think he was really a good coach. But back when you're a kid, you don't know. You right. have no way to evaluate a coach uh, as to whether he's uh, a good coach or not. Yeah. So uh, 
I never realized that he wasn't good. I had, I mean, he didn't do things that needed to be done on the court. And um, it, it wasn't until later when I realized what does coaching take mm -hmm. that I realized that he really wasn't that good. Uh, I remember once, funny story, I was on the bench. It was a home game. There was a guy on the team named, named Doug Hoffman. Uh, and uh, if you made a mistake for Coach Van Vleck, one mistake, he pulled you out. So you're always looking over your shoulder. So uh, Coach looked down the bench and he goes, Hoffman, get up here. So Hoffman gets up, Doug gets up, and he takes off his warm-up top. And he tosses it to me and he says, uh, hold on to this. I'll be right back. <laughs> well, when Van Vleck heard that, he said, Hoffman, sit down. And that was it. He never got into the game. But like I said, when you're a kid, you don't know. You just accept whatever uh, he tells you because he's the head coach. Yeah, well, he, he didn't uh, cause you to lose your passion, and neither did Coach Grice cause me to lose my passion, and neither did Jay Billis's high school coach cause him to lose his passion. And I guess what supersedes, uh, you know, maybe a good human, but just not necessarily a good coach or somebody in over their head uh, or not having the proper training or the right tools in their toolbox is a passion for the game, which, uh, you know, now, in this case, me, you, and Jay Billis all had, and you know we've dedicated our lives uh, to to the great game of basketball, and it's um, brought us a lot of amazing relationships and and happiness and incredible. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a credit to you know the game itself because the game will be here a lot longer than than we will be. Uh, then you went to Wayne State University, right? And so, uh, interestingly, that's where my mom went to uh, school as well. So tell us a little bit about that experience. Uh, went out for the team, and I was on the, what they call their freshman team. Right. Uh, the now, back then, you couldn't play on a varsity anyways, right? right. Didn't they have right. limitations? Yeah. Right. I think you had to play freshman. So at the, I was also working and going to school. Well, practice was at 6 o'clock in the morning. And... Uh, we didn't have a gym. We had like an army barracks converted into a gym. There was no math I building like they have now or the new building where the cruise is going to play the Detroit cruise, which is right. part of the Wayne state field house now. So I didn't have a car and I used to wake up at about four o'clock in the morning and uh, eat something and then walk two blocks in the dark to a bus stop in front of Mount Carmel Hospital on a, on Outer Drive wow. and take the bus and make sure you get there by six because the head coach would lock the door. And if you came one minute late, you're locked out. You don't get in. <laughs> <laughs> so I was on the team and uh, beside doing the schoolwork and practicing, and then remember our practices were in like in uh, right after like three o'clock in the afternoon. Then I would take a bus home, schoolwork, and get up and do the same thing again. Wow. And I then had a job as a locker room attendant. So I was doing that after practice, which would be at the Jewish Center. And uh, let me tell you, if you try to work and play college basketball at any level and go to school, it's impossible. So I remember we were playing an inter-squad game at 
uh, Pershing High School, which is on the east side of Detroit. And um, he had a kid in front of me that I knew I was better than. But I can't say anything. The only way to, to do it is to prove it. So in the inner squad game, uh, I scored 17 points. And the coach, his name was Noah Brown, who was a, a, an African-American. Uh, he came up to talk to me and he said, yeah, I didn't know you could, you know, you could shoot like that. Unfortunately, I said to him that I would, I would have to take myself off the team because I couldn't work and go to school and play basketball. I'm getting up at four o'clock in the morning. It was killing me. So something had to go. Well, I needed a job to earn some money. And the school obviously was the uh, highest in priority. So I had to give up playing basketball. Oh. But the passion, you know, never, ever left. Wow. I don't think I knew that part of the story. Yeah. Well, you definitely, we'll talk about it in, uh, in a little while here. You, you paid it forward many times over uh, and, and held people live out their dreams and earn their scholarships and even go on to, to play professionally. So let me ask you about the sixties, because it's always interesting for me to hear people's perspectives in an era, uh, you know, that involved assassinations and you were already integrated uh, a decade earlier, but, but did the sixties impact you in, in a different way? Well, uh, you know, we had Viet the Vietnamese war going on. And uh, by that time I was teaching at, at Lessinger School. And um, that's an elementary school. That was an elementary in, in Oak Park. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was reclassified 1A, which means I could, I could go. But I did get a teaching deferment from Oak Park protecting me, indicating that they needed my services. And uh, I never had to go. But now I'm going to tell you something else that you may not know about me. Even if I was drafted, I wouldn't go and I wouldn't go because I would not leave my mother. That's how important she was to me that God forbid, if something happened to me, that that would be just a torture to her because she lost her father and her husband inside of one year. And she was 37 years old with me at, uh, at nine and my brother at a year and a half old. And she sacrificed for us and gave up a, a huge chunk of her life. 17 years went by. We struggled, never had a car in the family. And we lived in a half a duplex on 14029 Curtis in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Never forget the address. And uh, I would, I vowed that I would go to jail before I would ever leave her. And uh, makes you, makes it sound like I'm a mama's boy, but. I, there was no way I was going to leave her and see her struggle. So when I got the job teaching, mm. uh, I made her life a whole lot easier. All right, incredible story. Let that breathe for a second. Um, so you're at Lessinger. And so you'd gone right. through your, your teaching to, to prepare you to, to be a teacher. Did you, always, did you know you always wanted to be a teacher? Well, I always loved sports and I loved kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, in the, in the uh, situation uh, my family was in, this would have been the fastest thing that I could do to go start earning money to relieve the burden on my mom. Mm. And, you know, when I did get a car eventually, uh, 
instead of trading it in on another one, I just passed it down to my mother mm-hmm. and my brother. Wow. And I did. And then I took over the rent eventually on the house and made life a little easier for her. Hmm. Amazing. Uh, I was pretty close with her, kind of like I think the way you are with your mom. And yeah. we, you know, she lived with us. And, uh, you know, the old story that kids want, can't wait to move out on their parents. <laughs> well, it, it worked the other way in my, for mm-hmm. us. Uh, she met a man 17 years after my father died. He died in uh, 54. And he was a great guy. And he was a little older than her. And she want, he asked her to marry him. And she didn't know what to do. So she said, what do you think? And I said, mm-hmm. look, you have nothing to lose. There's no children involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, li- he loves you. And I don't want you to be alone anymore. And it was a, uh, a wonderful thing that mm-hmm. uh, they got married. She was married to him for 20 years till wow. he passed away. Mm-hmm. And uh, I stayed behind as she moved on. And uh, I didn't like uh, coming home from a basketball practice. At that time, it was... Uh, middle school at Clinton on Park mm-hmm. Lawton in Oak Park. Yep. And uh, I didn't like coming home to a dark house all the time and eating beef stew every single <laughs> night. <laughs> so I used to go to the games on Friday night at the Oak Park High Gym. And um, I was coaching middle school, ba- well, middle school basketball. I did that like for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And um, wow, when I was at one of the games, I saw a very pretty girl leading the cheerleaders. She was the sponsor. And I asked uh, a couple other gym teachers I was with, who is that? And they said, or her name is Rita Forbes. I said, uh, oh, really? Is she Jewish with the name Forbes? I said, yeah, her dad's the mayor of Oak Park. I said, oh, would (laughs) would you like to meet her? I said, yeah. And they introduced me to her and uh, I, 49 years later now. Unreal. So I married the mayor's daughter. Did he grill you? No, as a matter of fact. Wow. He, he, uh, he accepted me for the way mm. I was. Mm. Uh, they, his, their parents, uh, Joe and Rena, were opened up their arms to me. Uh, I felt comfortable being in that family. And then of course, Rita has two sisters, uh, Esty, who's the middle child and Nikki, who's the uh, youngest. And uh, I just felt like I was part of their family. And it felt that way the rest of my life until Mm. they both died. Mm. Sorry for their passing. Uh, Wait, did Rita play hard to get? (laughs) No, I don't think so. No. she didn't play hard to get, uh, but I wasn't, I was afraid to get married. Mm. And um, I went with her for two years. Wow. And her mother said, you know, if you don't put the cards on, <laughs> uh, this is going to go on forever. So uh, it was, wow. she put, put it to me. It was uh, should or get off the pot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I looked at my life and, you know, I was losing my hair already. <laughs> Um, she was a a Jewish girl from a wonderful Jewish family. Uh, she was educated. 
She was a teacher in Oak Park. And that was important to me because mm. my mother struggled without an education. And if anything happened to me and there were children, I didn't want to see her struggle. So by her being a teacher, I knew she had a profession that she could always fall back on mm. if something happened to me. And um, after she, you know, I looked at my life and I, I saw that uh, I wasn't getting any younger. And mm. you know, sometimes an opportunity is right there in front of you. And a lot of people look past that opportunity because they think there's something better farther down. Mm -hmm. And later in life, when they look back that they had that opportunity that they passed up, they regret it because they can never get it back again. I didn't let that opportunity slide by because I knew it was the right situation. I just needed somebody to push me a little bit. So she pushed. So next year in December, it'll be 50 years. Mm. Oh, congratulations. Unbelievable. What, what, a, what a ride it's been. Oh, let me tell you, you know, the beautiful thing about her is that uh, she loves sports. Because right. Father trained her so well. You go into Joe Forbes home, if there were games on, he had three television sets in the same room, all going with a different game. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And if you were going to cross the TV to get to the other side, of the room, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> you don't cross the television sets until oh, there's a timeout man. or a, a lull in the action. <laughs> <laughs> so Rita grew up in that environment. She used to go to the oh, baseball man. games. Of course, her seats at Tiger Stadium at Briggs Tiger Stadium yeah. were different than mine. Hers were box seats. I'm out in the uh, upper left field bleachers. And uh, she was a at Michigan State. She was friends with uh, that 1965 team with um, Baba Pisa, Dick Kenny. Uh, Dick uh, Webster and wow. all those guys, they're yeah. all, all Americans. Yeah. You know, and Bubba Smith. Wow. She lived in Wonders, which is the same dorm they lived in, and they all became friends. And uh, so she was at all the football games because she had a personal contact with them. And when she hooked up with me, basketball became a big, obviously, it was a big part of my life. And she has never, ever complained about having to go to all the games, which she was there. Mm. And I mean, all the away games, all the home games, she was always there. Mm. She understands the game, I think, almost as well as I do. And she's able to call timeouts sitting in the den <laughs> when the coach needs to take it because she knows the feel for it. Right, yeah. So you couldn't have ever asked for a mm. better life partner to share in my and my joy and what I loved and basketball was definitely a part of a big part of my life. I coached it for 30 years. Yeah. I'm going to get into that in a second. What a, an amazing story. What a, what a great time for a, a little nudge. You got, you got a good nudge at a good time. Couldn't You know, she's, she's uh, has my back. She's a hundred percent behind me. She cares about me. She loves me. What more could you ever want? Uh, she wants me to have all the good things in life. Mm -hmm. And we're at a stage in our life now where we're comfortable. 
and we can do things that uh, that a lot of people can't do. And um, I'm very fortunate to have her. Yeah, well, you, you know, you learned at a young age, uh, you know, the importance of sacrifice and uh, servitude. And, you know, you've been doing that for, you know, the greater part of both of your lives and you're an amazing team. And so that just uh, shows in just about everything that both of you have done, uh, not only on the court, but off. And so I want to ask you about uh, your two girls. You've always been a little bit more aware and forward thinking, you know, as a teacher and as a coach. Well, you know, I coached girls too for three right. years, like you coach girls. And uh, I, at first I didn't want to, I didn't want, because I felt boys is where it's at. Mm -hmm. But there's a certain thing you get from girls that you don't get from boys. And uh, it was exciting taking the Oak Park girls basketball program, which the most they ever won was two games. And then I was asked by Howard Stone, uh, a blessed memory. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, he was the athletic director. And he said, would you, you know, help us out and coach the girls? And I said, Howard, I, I really don't want any part of it. And he said, but I really need you to help me out. You got to do me a favor. Well, I couldn't say no to him because he's, he was such an important person in my life and such a good guy. So I took the girls and uh, my, I had goals and it was all laid out what, what we wanted to accomplish. And the first year that I coached them, we won uh, four games. The next, the second year was 10. And the third year was 17. Amazing. So there was steady improvement all the way through. And because of the girls, I met a guy named Jim Curry. His daughter, Jerisha, played on the team. Jim was the uh, recreation director of the township. Mm. And I said, you're going to co coach with me. I need you as my assistant. And our team was basically all black, except for uh, maybe one or two white girls. And, um, he and I was your assistant for one of those years. One of those years, right. you were, we were so, I think it was the third year, your third year, yeah, one right. of the girls went to Michigan State to play, I believe. Right. It was uh, Stacy Thomas. Oh, she was so uh, good. Wow. She was really good. And she, she was uh, on the Michigan State team for, for a short time, but she was there. Mm -hmm. And um, Jim Curry and I became really, really close. Wow. And he referred to us as salt and pepper. <laughs> the white guy and the black guy yeah. oh man that's so, great unfortunately he died mm. uh, Jerisha is still teaching in Oak Park she became wow. a teacher there and a lot of those girls I am still in contact with I've been to their weddings wow. I've been to their parents funerals oh. and you see, basketball at the high school level is a vehicle Yeah, not all coaches see it as that they're looking at it from their own ego uh, that, you know, that the eyes of the crowd are on them. The eyes of the crowd don't go to the coach. It goes to the players on the floor, but you have to understand it's basketball is not an end. It's a vehicle to improve a kid's life. And I've always looked at it that way, that you take basketball and you could have an influence, a coach's influence lasts forever on, on, on players, as you know, because you do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And um, 
the relationships that you got that I got from the girls team was invaluable. After the third year, I had those girls ranked in the state of Michigan. We were mm -hmm. ranked in Oakland County. Uh, we were doing real good. Of course, it's a slower game with girls than back then. Absolutely. And, and they weren't as athletic as, as they are now. Wow. But uh, I don't regret in my life that I coached the girls. It was a great experience. Mm. Would I coach girls again? Yeah, I would. Absolutely. Uh, it's the same game. And uh, you teach it the same way as you teach it to the boys. But I've always wanted to coach boys at, at the highest level I could get to in the high school. And that's why I, I switched with uh, Dick Rice. He was the boys coach and I was the girls coach. And he was getting a lot of pressure, not winning. And he wanted to get out of uh, the boys job. And I said to him, why don't we switch? I want the boys job. You can walk into a ready-made win situation. And that's what we did. We switched and it was okay. And yeah, uh, it was probably a better fit because, uh, you know, he didn't uh, maximize people's potentials. Uh, he had great success because of the talent that he had around him. Absolutely. Give him credit. He won a state championship, but um, you know, it was probably for, for the best. And, and uh, the program took off back again after you took over. Right. Well, I've had some bad years too. It isn't all rosy, but you know, I feel that you learn more with a bad season than you do with a good season. And it, what it does is it causes you to introspect yourself in what am I doing? What am I doing wrong? What can I do better? How am I uh, treating these kids? How am I communicating with them? It causes you to look at things that uh, when you were winning, you might've overlooked because winning covers up everything. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you a question. So one, one of my years when I was coaching the girls, we were four and seven and I was like, this isn't working. And this was my fifth year. So there's a little bit of pressure at the college level to, to win. And I bagged everything. I, my assistant coach was a former marketing director for Tiger Woods and uh, Michael Jordan and Kobe. And so, you know, he, he, he was volunteering his time. And I was like this after five years, I was like, this isn't working. And so I just let them, uh, with a little bit of structure, do some things that I normally wouldn't have let them do. We won 17 in a row. And we went to the state round of the state, the second round of the state playoffs and ran the table in, in conference play. Did you ever say to yourself, this isn't working in the middle of the season and just bag it? And, and you, you were glad you did that? Well, you know, I had a play chart that I used to use. And if I saw something wasn't working, I just said the hell with it and just didn't include it anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, if I had to find fault with myself, uh, I would say as a coach, I might've been too rigid. And now if I was coaching, I see the game differently. I see myself differently. I wouldn't be as rigid, rigid anymore. I would give the players an incredible amount of freedom with the knowledge of basic fundamental skill, but I wouldn't jam down their throat play after play after play, because I don't think the game's played that way anymore. Yeah. So talk about the transition to the boys game and uh, 
some of these lifelong relationships that you've, you know, developed from, you know, Ryan Perryman well, to, you know, yeah. so many others, Jamie I've, Arnold. And I've coached, you know, boys to, at Oak Park, hundreds of them. It was incredible. When I had tryouts, I would get about 120 kids trying out. That's unbelievable. Okay. That many, of course, 75 of them were ineligible, which was a common thing going on at Oak Park. They didn't have uh, the 1.6, I think, or the 1.8 average, but they would try out anyway. Mm -hmm. And what, what I detected was that these kids, beside the love of basketball and that I had and that they had, which was the tie together, I saw that these kids needed more. And a lot of them came from homes without a father. Well, I could relate to that, you know, because I came from the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I felt the, a lot of the uh, kids in the black community from their single parented mother weren't getting the knowledge of how to go to college. What do you have to do? Or giving them the motivation and the inspiration to do well in school. So I, I started to do those kind of things and kind of like became a father beside a basketball coach. Now, did all the kids like me? I, I would say there are some that didn't. Uh, but uh, for the majority, I would say the majority of them and I got along real well. Now think about it. It's a black team with a white coach, black parents watching a white coach. Uh, it worked. Was I accepted right away? No. Uh, I had to prove myself. Number one, I had to prove to the players that I knew what I was talking about. Because if you're going to try and BS them, they're kids. They'll, they could see through that, that you don't know what the hell you're talking about. That's part of gaining respect. Once you have their respect and they know you know what you're talking about, now you can coach them. And if you care about them, not just on the court, but what happens to their lives off the court, you could teach them anything you want. And once I start sending a few kids to college, it kind of mushroomed and things went yeah. really smooth. And uh, it was it was just a fun place to be. That's but amazing. I, yeah. I learned yeah. a lot about the black culture. And, you know, mm -hmm. one of the remarks a kid said to me, he said, you know, Mr. Golding, you should have been black. I looked, oh, God. I looked at him and I said, but I am. And he says to me, you are? And I said, yeah, you, you see this? There's blood that runs through my veins. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, I had an incident with Marcus Iverson, all-state player. He used the word, the N-word, in practice. And I called him over and I said, uh, Marcus, we're, we're not going to use that word here. If you use it outside of the court, when I'm not around, I can't control that. But we're not going to degrade the culture of the people. And that word is degrading. Coach, you don't understand. You don't understand how we use it. I said, no, I do understand how you use it. And if I used it, it wouldn't be understood the same way. That evening, his mother called me. Lenore. Iverson calls me and said, I heard you had a run-in with my son. I said, well, not really. And I explained to her what happened. <laughs> not she really. Said, she said, uh, 
well, we don't, we don't, we don't use that word the way you do. And it's okay. You just don't understand. And I said, my, my basketball court is my classroom. And in my classroom, we don't use derogatory comments. And uh, she said, well, you know, I can pull him out and send him back to Pershing High School where he came from. And I said to her, well, let me ask you something, Lenore. Do you want the very best for him in school? And the answer was yes. Do you want him to succeed as a basketball player? Yeah. Do you want him to go to college, maybe on a scholarship? Yeah. I said, isn't that amazing? You want the same things for him that I want for him. I said, you know, we have more in common than uncommon. And from that point on, she left him where he was. And I, he stayed with me. And to this day, I'm close with Marcus Iverson. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And her too. I mean, I became friends with the parents. That, that's the amazing thing. It didn't just stop with the player. It went into their homes where uh, if one of their parents dies, I'm, I, go to, I go to black funerals. Been to a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Powerful stuff. Rewarding. Yeah. Amazing. Well, and I'm sure looking back on it now, um, you're glad that you never compromised who you were and, and uh, you know, you lived with the type of upbringing that you had because it, it, it taught you, you know, how to be a better man and it taught you how to be a better coach and an educator. I could relate to those kind of kids. Uh, yeah because I was basically the white kid that was in the same situation. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, Having said that, so we're approaching two years since the racial reckoning, the second one in your lifetime, uh, after the murder of George Floyd. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about the fact that we're both Jewish and, you know, we have... uh, a long lineage of uh, family members from the Holocaust and Holocaust survivors. And so we have a different level of empathy than, you know, maybe other cultures might have. And so you, you saw just like everybody else, a knee on someone's neck for almost nine minutes that the entire world saw that was murdered right before our eyes. And so we've had a lot of, and you've seen a lot of people Uh, in this space, stand up for social injustice. Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, Arthur Ashe, uh, and the list, you know, goes on and on. And even a few years prior, we saw Colin Kaepernick take a knee, which was recommended to him by a white military person. Mm -hmm. And, And so you were not coaching at this time, but did any of your players call you or what, what was your thought process after this? And do you think coaches around the world? Uh, hand- you couldn't survive coaching black kids as long as I have if you had a dislike for black people. So that was never the issue. Uh, I liked being with the kids. I, I saw them as I'm coaching kids. They just happen to be black kids. But I enjoyed being around them. Uh, I laughed with them. I cried with them. Uh, I never lost my identity and respect to them by them saying, he's our buddy. I was their friend, but there was always uh, a pedestal 
of where I was and where they were. That line of demarcation. Yeah, no, I understand. Uh, it bothered me a lot to see what was going on in America. And I felt it was so unfair. And it's inconceivable to me that people, whatever their race or culture or creed is, to be treated like that. Uh, it's just unbelievable. I mean, I've gone back and, and watched film of the 60s with with uh, the in the white south with the fire hoses uh it's america should be embarrassed in their in their history for what they did to black people in fact uh, i used to when i was teaching social studies i used to do a comparison with the holocaust and and uh, what the black people went through and I used to show the kids the comparison between the two, how similar they both were. Because mm -hmm. black kids didn't know anything about the Holocaust, nothing. And I wanted them to know that they weren't the only people that were degraded and in, in, uh, through segregation, that this has happened to other people too. The difference obviously is that the Jewish person can hide behind their white skin, the black person can't. But I've also I've always had a feeling for uh, black people uh, not getting a fair shake, and I never had a problem working for a black principal. And when I did my student teaching, my uh, my supervising teachers uh, were black gentlemen in the inner city, mm. and I always felt comfortable around black people. And to this day, I still do. And when Oak Park has their Christmas reunion at Mr. Joe's restaurant and Rita and I go to it. And remember Gurji, the oh, little yeah. the Indian guy who yep. spearheads it. Wow. And uh, it's all black people and just me and Rita. And I don't feel out of place. I feel comfortable there. And they treat me like I'm still up on that pedestal. Even the ones that never played for me and the girls too, because they know my reputation and uh but you know the reputation is everything it's not the, it's not the money it's your reputation and to get the reputation it doesn't happen overnight it takes years to build that reputation well oh, that's amazing you certainly did that and then some and i think what you told lenore really sums it up best that you have more in common than the differences that you might have just because the of the color of your skin oh fascinating stuff um you know the the other thing that i like to talk about is um mental health obviously it was treated differently back you know even when i was in in high school and in college as a player and so are, are you glad that the the mental health space is being normalized now so that you know people know that they're not alone um you know because you you know my father committed suicide when I was nine. And so that's where we have a, a common bond in terms of losing our fathers. And so, you know, especially in the black and brown community, this is just not something that has ever been normalized until maybe recently uh, where you're either uh, in an outcast, you're roasted because, you know, something's wrong with you or, you know, like I said, something's wrong with you and, and uh, you know, you're not normal. Well, if you look at our country, I call it being upside down. 
I think America <laughs> is really upside down in everything. And in mental health, is just one of the other categories where uh, I know you do a lot for homeless people, but it, it bothers me to no end to see people living on the streets, not having a roof over their head, worrying about where they're gonna get their next meal, or if they're in Michigan, to get out of the cold. It, what does that say about our country? And yet we, we, we have so much money that go into such foolish stuff that uh, a lot of these wealthy people can do so much with their money, but it's going in the wrong direction. And uh, yeah, it bothers me, but you know, I remember uh, Mr. Mural mm. at the high school saying to me, Howard, you're trying to save the world. You can only do what you can do. And that had to do with uh, Rodney Hampton, who mm. I was trying to get to go to school and he didn't want to go to school. Here's an all-state basketball player. And uh, he just was very lackadaisical. And Merle said to me, you can only do what you can do. You can't save the world. He eventually did go to school and he became a, an All-American in Cleveland in a junior college. And then he played at uh, Iowa State. So uh, it came out right for him. Still in touch with him. Yep. And Perryman. Played overseas and, uh, for a and, long time. You know, but uh, yeah, the, the country's a mess with the vaccinations that they don't want to get vaccinated and, and, um, and uh, everything that's going on. You know, the crime is at a high rate. Uh, uh, life has no value. People killing other people. Uh, what's happened to this country? When I was a kid, it really wasn't like that. Growing up was better. You could get on your bike and ride away from your house for blocks. Your mom never worried where you were. There were no cell phones to call and say, I'm, I'm over here on this street. I'll be home soon. Mm -hmm. uh, you stayed out late at night. Nobody ever worried about you. The world was different. Now, all those freedoms have been taken away from kids. Yeah, it's it's definitely a different world. Uh, I do want to ask you one question before we get to the very famous rapid fire, this or that segment, which I know you're dying to to answer some of those questions. But education is something that you dedicated the majority of your life uh, to and more than 40 years. And so I've been not on the show necessarily, uh, but I have been critical of education uh, in the United States. And, and I think there's a lot of things that should be changed from a curriculum standpoint. Do, do you think that there's some things fundamentally that need to be changed, whether it's uh, critical race theory or the type of math we teach, more financial literacy versus geometry, you know, those types of things. Are we in an antiquated system right now? Well, I think there's a lot of skills not being taught. And you'll laugh at me when I tell you this is like, like uh, how to maintain a checkbook. Should be taught in school because it's a life skill that they're gonna, kids are going to need. How to fix things around your house that you don't have to call a repair person, that you have some skill in knowing how to do it. Um, I've been out of it now for 13 years. And my uh, ed specialist degree was in curriculum development. But just as the world's changed, education's changed, and I'm not a part of it anymore uh, to really know what's going on other than what I know through my my grandchildren. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
everything's different. You know, I'm kind of like a dinosaur and obsolete when it comes to the way schools operate. But yeah. in the 41 years that I was there in Oak Park, it was phenomenal. High achievement school, I don't have to tell you. Smart mm -hmm. kids, fun to be around, unbelievably great teachers throughout the school district. And I got to be a part of that. So mm -hmm. I don't ever regret coming to Oak Park. It changed my whole life teaching there. It, got, it brought me my wife and from that my daughters and four beautiful grandchildren well not only changed your life uh changed a lot of other people's lives yeah. as well i help people uh to get on their feet and never went around talking about it just did it rita also was a part of that uh did that with robert brown and um to this day he calls me dad hmm I mean, it's it's incredible. A black guy calling me dad or Sean Brown calling me on Father's Day and just calling me out of the blue to say, hey, pops, how you doing? How's everything? Uh, Kirk, before he died, who was not a student, he, I put him on as an assistant coach. I gave guys chances to be in, on the bench with me to see what it's like if they wanted to do this type of thing. How about uh, Anthony Striggles? I put him on the bench uh, to be with me and uh, to let them see what's it like, you know, and I'm sure they, they're indebted to me for giving them that opportunity. Amazing. You know, when they see me, they hug me. It, it's mm. it's a, even the kids that I had in class. You're a big mush, Howard. Well, <laughs> what can I tell you? I don't... Uh, Nothing wrong with it. I'm just you never saying. Get, you don't get rich doing it, but it's a treasure in memories that I wouldn't trade for the money. Absolutely. Because the respect goes with it and you earn that. It's not just handed to you. Amazing. And, and you know how you get the respect the same way you get it. You put in the time with the kids and they see you sweating as they're sweating and they see you caring about what you're doing and they see you caring about them. And that's what makes everything so perfect. Well, yeah, absolutely. It is your classroom. It's a bigger classroom. Right. But when you care about them outside of those four lines, that's what they'll remember for the rest of their lives. Right. All right. So <clears throat> has there any has there been any white players on the Oak Park High School varsity basketball team since me? White players on the Oak Park basketball? No. I don't think there is another white player since you. <laughs> and 97, 07, 17. That's 34. I think I'm the last white coach. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Who knew? <laughs> that is hilarious. I know. I know I was the last driver ed teacher in the district. That's for sure. And that, that was with uh, 26 years of teaching driver ed at Oak Park High. What's your best story about driver's education? Because it used to be a month-long class, right? I took it. Well, you, you, you took it during the day. Was it built into your day? Yes. Okay. I did it after school. Oh, boy. In the so summers. I, in the summers. And after school, they used to have it, too. Unbelievable. And then they eventually elim eliminated that and just kept the summer. And uh, 
I got lots of stories. <laughs> They're incredible. <laughs> so one day we're out driving. Well, you had the second break though, right? Well, there were two sessions. Session okay. one would go like for the first half of the summer and session two, the second half. And I basically got no vacation, maybe a few days. And then school started again. But I had to teach driver ed because I had to have something coming in because the bills don't stop. Right. So, and back then, when I was teaching driver ed, we didn't have air conditioning in the cars. Oh, my God. We were getting our cars from Melfar Ford, you know, located up on Greenfield and 10 Mile Road. Melfar, superstar for right. a and it was hotter than hell in those cars. Oh, my I mean, God. The back of my shirt was soaking wet at the end <laughs> of the day. So the lunch hour was uh, like a half hour. Right. So this one particular time, uh, I had a girl in the car. And we, I asked her to pull into the uh, McDonald's over here on Greenfield. And there was a cinder block wall that separated the Hebrew Memorial Chapel, which was a funeral home for Jewish people, right? Oh, separated from McDonald's. <laughs> and I said, uh, you know, turn off, the, turn off the engine. I'll be right back. Don't touch any of the buttons or anything. Just don't. And I went in and got something because we we eat on the fly while you're teaching. You're you're eating. Okay. Yeah, you only got a half hour. Right. So I come back and uh, I get in the car and I said, okay, let's go. And she says, did you want me to go straight? And remember, I said there was a cinder block <laughs> wall there. <laughs> I said to her, just a minute. I got out of the car and the window was down. I said, okay, now you can go. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was one great story. I mean, uh, another one, I had this group, we were on a range. And the range was the parking lot at the high school. We had three cars going around in circles and doing different skills. So I said, okay, put your, we're going to stop. Put your right foot on the brake and put the car into park and then get out of the car. Well, one girl opened up the door and got out, but the, she never put the car <laughs> in drive. It, 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 I mean, in park, in park it was yeah. still in drive. So it's idle <laughs> speed. And I had to run like hell <laughs> because it was headed for a house at the end. Of oh my the, god! At the end where the football field is, right. it was headed for a, oh the end. God. So, do you ever try to get into a car that's picking up speed as it's idled and it's, and you don't have much time till you get to the house? So I remember that. Oh god, that, that was unbelievable. Remember, I almost getting killed six times. Also, yeah, I was going to say, was it worth the money? God bless. Well, you know. The better the driver, the more relaxed the instructor becomes. And right. when you become relaxed is when you you take your mind off of what's going on. And they still make mistakes. And I right. almost got wiped out six times. Unbelievable. Good thing you didn't have to teach them how to drive a stick shift. <laughs> oh, but I want to tell you, though, 26 years of it. And when I see a driver ed car on the road now, <laughs> I am not to be in that car. <laughs> because I remember those days being in that car. Oh, man. So the three-point line came right about after I graduated high school in 1987. Were you a fan of it? And do you like it now? Well, we adapt to it. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the game. Uh, it changed the whole game, I think, at, at every level. First of all, every kid wants to be Curry. 
three. They all want to run to the three point. Now, do you find that amazing though? Because because when Jordan was doing his thing, everyone wanted to be Jordan. Did you ever think somebody would want to be like a guy like Isaiah or a guy like Steph Curry? That surprise you? Well, not really. Curry's great. He's the he's the greatest shooter ever, and I've seen. But isn't he more than that though? Isn't he more than that? Doesn't doesn't he? you know, play in a way where it's a little more swaggy. He, he passes the ball a lot. He gives it up and but sets it's up deep up. threes though. It's not threes. Well, I mean, we have a lot of people in the past that have shot threes. Feet, he's six feet behind the line. He launches it. It's just, I've seen him up close inside the three point line, shooting the ball just for the height. And it, and when it comes down, it's coming right down through the hoop. It's amazing. Amazing. And yet in college at Davidson, he look where he goes to school. Davidson, he doesn't, it's a division one, but it's like a mid-major yeah. division one. And the way he shoots the ball. I mean, I, I remember watching Jimmy Rail from Indiana and I thought there's nothing like him. And uh, there, there's a lot of good shooters out there. The, the kid, Antoine Davis from the University of Detroit, yeah, he's. I've watched him numerous times. He's he's going to be drafted in the NBA because if you can shoot the three, absolutely, and there's a place for you in the NBA. The kid at Oakland that's pretty good too. Oh yeah, Oakland's Oakland's real good, and uh, Coach Campy is a good friend of mine. Wow. But what what it's done is, uh, it's made the court wider. It's opened right. up gaps for driving. And now, if you take the post player away, it, it's easier for them to drive and make layups because it's not congested. And the way the NBA is, there's no, you don't need a three-point, I mean, a uh, post, post player. player. Yeah. Because they, they can shoot the, uh, the three. So a guy like Ben Wallace, who played for the Pistons, he'd never fit into the game the way it is today. It's a different game. Different and game. I, and, and uh What's his name? The big kid that the Pistons had, Andre. Uh, Andre Drummond. Yeah. They don't fit in anymore. Yeah. Not if you can't shoot. Nope. So I like the three-point line because when they shoot that shot, that's the home run. That in the dunk is what people come to see. Yeah. Giannis is probably the exception to the rule at this oh, point. Unbelievable. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, <clears throat> so do you prefer the movie uh, Hoosiers or Rudy? Hoosiers all the time. <laughs> In fact, since you brought up Hoosiers, what I used to do. Great win last night for them. Go ahead. Yeah. What I, yeah, I saw the game. Uh, what I used to do is at the beginning of a season for me, I used to sit down and watch Hoosier, Hoosiers to give me the motivation. Mm. Because That's it, awesome. it, it, it gives you motivation when oh, you watch man. that. Oh. Like, look at these kids, look what they could do. I, Absolutely. I, I've watched It's a classic. I've watched classic. it numerous times. I never get tired of it. Tell me who the top five players that you ever have seen in high school basketball in the state of Michigan. Weber. Weber's one. Yeah. Unguardable. Who's two. Gerard Abram from uh, River Rouge. Wow. Uh, really? Billy Not Derek Coleman. Didn't play against Coleman. Oh, I'm talking about people. Oh, I, people you played that, against. That I, I gotcha. Played against. Um, Gerard Abram went to Boston College. He could really, that. could really shoot the ball. Um, Shane Battier was a freshman when I knocked him out. 
but his team was ranked number six in the state and they were, and they were supposed to win the state championship. And I got them at Andover and knocked them out. Wow. Probably the most exciting win. And the guy who what uh, was the crowd like a lot of people, Ooh. a lot. Wow. And, uh, we were, we were supposed to lose the game and, uh, we pulled, we pulled it out with 1.5 seconds. I knew I if I could hang that. close to him, I had a chance at him. And what happens is Alex Rogers on my team who hadn't played in six weeks because he had a, a broken uh, wrist wow. had now just come back for that game and was on the floor. And he's the one of all people that gets fouled. Wow. He had a brace on his hand and he was going to the foul line and the score was, let's see, we were, we were up two, I think, or, or, or I forgot exactly, but we needed both his free throws and it were, it was a one and one. Wow. And if you looked at his eyes, he looked like deer in the headlights. I mean, and his own mother was sitting next to Rita in the stands and she buried her head. She couldn't look. And he went to the line. He made the first one. I told him, I was, I was walking him down the sideline. I said, Alex, you're going to make history in Oak Park tonight. Your name will live as a legend forever that, that you, you slew the giant, like David slew the giant. Right. And he made the second one. They get the ball, throw it in, and they take a shot from half court. It hits the front of the rim. This is at Andover. Falls off the rim, and we win the game. Then the next game, we win. So we won the district. And then we go to the regionals, and we, we were supposed to lose to Mount Clements. Mm-hmm. And we, we beat them. And then we get St. Clair Shores Lakeshore, and we end up losing by four points to them. Oh. And that's a story unto itself. If we would have gotten by them, which we should have, then we would have won the state championship. I'm convinced of it. What happened was we were playing Warren Woods Lakeshore. That's where the game was with three white referees. Now, I hate to bring this up, but there was no way that those three white uh, officials were going to let a black team come out at that time being the regional winners on Mm -hmm. the east side. And even Travis Conlon, who played for the University of Michigan, Mm. he was their starting guard, he played against me. We held him in check until the fourth quarter, and he went to the free throw line 11 times. I made about eight of them, and that basically put them in the lead. And his father, Travis Conlon's dad, came up to me, and he says to me, it's a shame the refs didn't let the kids decide the game. That's wow. coming from the kid on the other team, his father. Wow. So wow. That, that's a hurt that will live in me forever. Oh. Uh, and that's your racism, Didn't, not allowing black kids. Because wow. what, he, what they did is my two rebounders, Ala Kadala. Oh, yeah. And, and Ryan Perryman, they were on the bench. Wow. Foul trouble. Because they made sure that those guys had oh. to be taken out of the game. Oh. But then Willie Mitchell from Pershing was phenomenal. And uh, we were playing them in a district. Yeah. And uh, they were ranked number one in class A and we were ranked number five in class A. And people said, who puts two teams like that against each other right off the bat? Well, we didn't survive it because he had more talent. Mm. Pershing coach wow. there was Johnny Golston, Golston mm. and we lost there. But, uh, 
How about um, Tyrone, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy who was the running back from the University of Michigan. Oh, Wheatley. Tyrone what? Wheatley. Wheatley. Yep. Yeah, he, he was an All-American running back from Michigan. He played at Robichaud. Yep. He, he he got 16 off of me, but when we but we wow. destroyed them. And of course we did, we did destroy them. And then my nemesis was Highland Park. Could never get past them. And finally uh I got by them on their court. And uh not and then at our place we scored 98 points against Highland Park, and that is a record against Highland Park. And wow. you know, they had all these great teams. Do you know that I still uh, send a Christmas card to Coach Percival? Wow. He lives down in uh, in Georgia. Wow. That's so, awesome. Still in touch with him. So, wait, Weber was the best player, you think, in Michigan? Uh, you, you couldn't history. guard him. So, uh, uh, players that you didn't coach against, who are the who's the next four best players in the history of the state of Michigan uh, scholastically? Oh, gee. Well, there's besides you know, Magic Johnson. I mean, we know Magic Johnson. I know, but do you know how many great players have come out of this state? I mean, it's I mean, Terry Mills was pretty underrated, wasn't he? Terry Mills was amazing. Yeah, he was good. Uh, uh, Derek he, Coleman was great. Coleman was a was a monster. Uh, there's so many of them. This state produced basketball players like we produced cars. <laughs> that many of them. OK. Yeah. Uh, Perry Watson's Southwestern oh. team. Yep. Uh, his last kid on the bench could start for anybody. Jalen Rose. Jalen Rose. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just incredible. Yeah. Well, you know, Willie Green, who's now a coach of the Pelicans in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about Terry Durod? Oh, so I mean, good. Uh, University of Cliff Detroit. Russell from Northern. Uh, we just go down the list. It's yeah. Curtis Jones from Detroit South Northwestern. George Gervin. Gervin, another one. Incredible. It just goes on and on and on. But uh, basketball be good to me. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. So I'll always have a soft spot for it. But, uh, you know, I sat down and just kind of like summarized a lot of stuff from uh, I have yeah. an older and I'm not lying to you. It's that thick Unreal. with clippings and pictures and, you know, and, you know, I'm helped Matt Ishbia, the guy who owns right. United, United uh, um, uh, UWM wholesale mortgage. Yeah. He I played in Michigan him. state. Right. Well, he yeah. just gave uh, $95 million to re- to redo the contract for Mel Tucker, the football coach at state. He gave Izzo and the rest of the university $32 million, and he just Unreal. gave the Dickey V Foundation $1 million. So I'm going to see him on uh, February 5th. Oh. Uh, he's now, in- he's somebody I would love to co-host with you if you want to try and talk to him. And he see is if- so hard to get a hold of. I know, of, yeah. Uh, that he- everything goes through his personal assistant. Yeah, yeah. And I do have his private phone number. He, when I would call him, he would answer me right away. The last time I sent him a message is to see if he would be at the Michigan State Oakland game. Yeah. And he never answered me back. Yeah. So he's got 9,000 people working for him Unreal. in Pontiac, not far from here. And uh, where did he play for you at Andover? No, no, he played at Seaholm. Seaholm, that's but right. But then yeah. I had him when I coached Maccabi. I, oh, I that's right. For 12 years. That's right. 12 summers of Maccabi basketball. 
won a gold, a silver, and two bronzes. So amazing. Uh, so Matt played for me and uh, for three years. So I became friendly with the family and him. And when he got old, a little bit older, he played for Sealham and he would bet me that he's going to beat me. I said, Matt, what do you want to bet? Well, let's bet a dinner. I said, Matt, you're never going to win. We play over the rim. You play under the rim. Because Sealham was a white school. Well, he never beat me. And when it came time, he wanted to play college ball, but he was about five foot eight. He was good, but he wasn't a big 10 basketball player. Right, right. Yeah. So I said, uh, you, you know, I, I maybe I can help you get into a, a smaller school. Well, he was accepted to Michigan and Michigan State, and he, he eventually wanted to go to Michigan State, but he didn't know anybody. Well, I happen to have known a coach named Stan Heath. Stan, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, Stan, he's yeah. coach at Eastern Michigan University yeah. right now. And he was at Arkansas, and I think he was somewhere in Florida, Central Florida. Well, he was at Wayne. And when I used to bring my teams down to play summer ball at Wayne, I got to meet Stan, and I went to Wayne, and he was the assistant coach there. So I picked up the phone. I told Matt, I'm going to call and see what I can do for you. I called Michigan State, and I talked to Stan, and I said, I got this kid. He doesn't need a scholarship. He's intelligent. He's smart. He'll help your kids at the study table. All you have to do is give him a spot on the bench and a uniform. So he says, well, you know what? Get, let me get in touch with him and have him come down and scrimmage with us. So he went to Lansing and he scrimmaged against uh, Mateen Cleves. Mateen Cleves took a liking to him and the rest is history. And, in, and he's there at the right time. Because in the year 2000, what happens? They win the national, the national championship. championship. Yeah. And he's the last kid off the bench in the championship game and takes awesome. the last shot, which was a baseline drive, and he lofts it and it goes over the top of the basket. <laughs> but by being on that team, he never caused the problem. They finally did give him a scholarship in his senior year, which he didn't need because he comes from a wealthy family. And think of what it did how many uh, doors opened up by being on on that team uh, now today of the nine thousand people that work for him he employs charlie bell who played for michigan state was on yep. that team and Mateen cleaves yeah. works for him so i'll probably see those guys and he has a gymnasium on his on his campus in pontiac unbelievable He's listed in the forbes uh, million billionaires. He's worth about nine nine billion, they say, and he's on the stock market. That's amazing. amazing. What a story! Oh, amazing! So he he's a he's a big mocker uh, in East mm. Lansing. Yes, he but, is. And him and Dan Gilbert, uh, they run head and head with each other here. Yeah, that's. And a... I I predict that Matt Ishbia one day is going to own the Detroit Pistons. And I already asked oh. him for a job. Just hurry up and do it before I get you know, <laughs> too old. Oh man, that would be amazing. I know. Oh. But I, I had I had some great great players play for me. Oh. And we would have won in spite of me. But I think what I did is I refined their skill and brought it out. And by bringing it out, it made them even better. So Ryan Perryman goes to Dayton, right, and, and has a tremendous career. And uh, in his senior year, he's the uh, 
leading rebounder in the country. Yep. 12 rebounds, and he gets the trial with the Sacramento Kings, uh, gets cut on the last cut because they give the spot to Corliss Williamson from Arkansas. Wow. And uh, he's now in their Hall of Fame. But I got to tell you this. One of the greatest things was being a big fish in a little pond. I used to get calls from universities all over the country. Ah. Well, Rita said, you're taking up the phone all the time. And I'm talking to these guys. We're going to have to run another line. (laughs) So I remember I'm cutting the grass one day and Jamie, my daughter, comes out and says, Dad, telephone, Nebraska. Danny Nee is on the phone. So I come in and talk to him. Rita says, you like this stuff, don't you? I said, yeah. She says, well, let me just tell you, once they get from you what they want, you won't hear from them anymore. <laughs> there is some truth to that. Yeah. Yep. They're after what you got, not you. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, that's it great. Tell, tell, tell me about the palace story. Okay. Well, when, well, I coached, I coached at the uh, Silver Dome once. Okay. We had the girls there. Right. I think I remember that. Yeah. Right. Oh, that was a great experience. But we played at the Palace before a Piston game, and we had we were playing Romeo. And I guess the Romeo coach knew somebody at the Palace and got us to play there. Wow. So we're, on, we're playing them, and really the game was over at halftime in our favor. And Robert Brown had 20 points at halftime and couldn't understand when I would take him out in the third, fourth quarter and not play him anymore. He wanted to pile it on. And I said, there's no need to pile it on. You won the game. Well, let me set a record. I said, there's no need to set a record because what you're doing is embarrassing them. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to embarrass them. Wow. And, and the assistant principal, Dave Lessel, oh, yeah. came, came running down and ducks behind my bench and says, Howard, Howard, don't pile it on. I said, I'm not, David. Don't worry about it. But I'm putting the other kids in the game but I can't tell them don't try to score but it was it was an experience of actually coaching mm. on that floor wow it was great but playing at St. Cecilia in Detroit oh for those I of you for, for first hold on a second so for for those of you listening got to give you some a little bit of context so the Silver Dome is where the Lions used to play so they used to put up this tarp halfway through the stadium just for the basketball and you could seat as many as 60,000 people on certain days. I remember Julius Irving would play there and others, and there would be so many fans, right? But it was hard to shoot because there was such a high ceiling there. And then Howard's talking about St. Cecilia on the other end of the spectrum, which is where a lot of the most famous players that have ever come out of Detroit played at St. Cecilia gym. It's, it's a crackerjack box. So I just want to give people a little bit of you know context of those two different kinds of gyms uh saint cecilia is very different than the silver dome <laughs> anybody who was anybody right cecilia absolutely so but that was an experience unto itself oh. you wouldn't expect that that little gym the greatness that came out of that little gym it's kind of like when you see motown and you think what came out of that little recording studio right it's unbelievable well that's what came out of saint cecilia or the still movie Right. Your favorite right. movie, Hoosiers. Yeah. But, Amazing. You know, the experiences of basketball is just incredible. Of course, I coached at uh, Madison Heights Landfair. I was yep. there. I was at Andover for three years Man. there. Uh, 
I was at Schoolcraft College. That's right. Was and great. We were 37 and four that that year I was there, and we won the uh, uh, the the district championship. We won the state championship, and we and we went to uh, uh, in Kansas, Hutchinson, Kansas, mm-hmm. for the national tournament. So I got to be a part of that. Wow! And see what that was like. I told Rita, pack your bags. <laughs> We're going for a week into uncharted water. We may never, <laughs> ever be able to come back to this again. And it was the 16 best Division One junior college programs in America. And we were one of them. Wow. It was, it was unbelievable. Did, did any of those players that you saw play go transfer and then end up? They in all the- transfer. They're all Division One players. Yeah. Where they, uh, A couple of ours, Tavoris Baker went to UAD, one one. Every kid on our team was an all-state basketball player in, in the state of Michigan. Wow. How good we were. It was unbelievable. Amazing. They could shoot. They could run. They could jump. I mean, they were unbelievable basketball. They were incredible. It was the best of the area. What, what would happen is they would go to a Division I school and for whatever the reason, not last. Mm-hmm. And then go to a junior college to try to get their grades back up so they can mm-hmm. go back in. So they came to Schoolcraft because Carlos Bridge seemed to know how to recruit all of them. And I was there as an assistant for that one year and got to be a part of it. It was, our center was from DeMatha High School. Wow. Morgan Wooten was the coach there. Wow. He was six foot nine. Amazing. Vince Lombardi or Bill Belichick? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, Well, I'm old school, so it's Lombardi. Yeah, that's cool. We had Bill Curry on the show. He played for him yeah. and told us a lot of stories about him and how he wouldn't, like you, tolerate any nonsense, especially uh, any kind of racism. And I didn't really know that part about him. I just knew him as a as sort of a tough coach, but he was uh, fighting for, you know, social injustice himself. And he was an ally, just like you and I. Very so the, interesting. The guy who was the uh, head coach at Wayne State University when I was there, mm-hmm. Joel Mason. He played for the Green Bay Packers and he played next to Don Hudson on the line. Wow. And his coach was Lombardi. Wow. Maybe that's why the doors got locked at six o'clock. And if you bang on the door, he isn't opening the door for you. You better get there and, and get in there before the hand hits 12. I I've seen it. guys locked out. I love it. At six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. A lot of teachers used to do that too. A uh, monster truck show or a dog show? A dog show. <laughs> the honeymooners. I, I, I've, ahead, had yeah. dogs. I've had dogs. Yes, you have. And, and uh, uh, I love them. And oh. I, I love the dog show. The honeymooners. I love Lucy or the odd couple. The honeymooners and Lucy right next to it. <laughs> and you could throw in leave it to beaver. Also. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Leave it to beaver was great. Abbott and Costello or the three stooges? Both. Oh, that's a Great. tie. Wow. Oh, a tie for sure. Oh, Abbott and Costello. I mean, hours I could watch them. Wow. And the Three Stooges, I got uh, Mo Howard's autograph on a picture with the wow. three. Wow. Yeah. That's so, fascinating. You know, the, all three of those guys were Jewish fellows. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. I know. Uh, all in the Family or Sanford and Son? Sanford and Son and who? All in the Family or Sanford and Son? <laughs> all in the <laughs> All in the family. <laughs> Meathead. <laughs> right. I mean, if you want to see 
racism and prejudice uh, at its highest. That was it. That was it. I don't think they can make a show like that anymore. Well, wait, I, I can beat the, I can beat that. How about Amos and Andy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have all the tapes. And if you want to talk about making uh, degrading the black man, that oh, was it. Absolutely. That was it. And that's why they took it off the air. Yep. But it was very funny. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock, Perry Mason or Columbo? Alfred Hitchcock. Part of my youth. I used to watch it yeah. all the time. Columbo's good too, though. I love Columbo. Let yeah. me ask you. Uh, right. Oh, With his eyes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. rubbing his face. That's right. Uh, he always got you. Uh, Dennis the Menace, the Jetsons, or Pink Panther? Dennis the Menace. Classic. Corned beef sandwich or liver? Corned beef all the way. Matzo ball soup or cafilta fish? I like them both. <laughs> I love it. The Lone Ranger, the Rifleman, or Bonanza? The Lone Ranger and Silver and Jay <laughs> Silverheels and, and his horse, Scout. There you go. You know that I don't, every evening when I go to bed, I watch Gunsmoke every single night. That's amazing. It's My Kenny, grandfather, before he passed away, watched Westerns before he went to bed, too. That's amazing. Matt Dillon, Miss Kitty of the Long Branch. And uh, Chester Good and Festus, watch them every night. What is, what is Rita doing at this point in time when you're watching? Watching it with me. <laughs> wow, <they're, laughs> that says it all. Basketball <laughs> and the Rifleman. <laughs> the Rifleman, uh, one o'clock in the afternoon till oh two o'clock is Gunsmoke. And Rifleman is, uh, let's see, Bonanza comes on next. And then the Rifleman after that, I believe. Are you, are, you, are you repeating the lines like do you know all the lines at this point well i know a lot of the lines. <laughs> i know a lot of the lot. uh paul newman or james dean hmm. paul newman great actor james dean heartthrob uh yeah. paul newman with the blue eyes love yeah. his movies you like his salad dressing yes and i've had it numerous times <laughs> <laughs> and and, and you, did you know all the profits from his foods goes to charity? Absolutely. Yep. Great he's a mensch. He's yeah, a real he's definitely mensch. a mensch. Jerry Lewis or Walter Matha? Jerry Lewis. Boy, is he funny. I, mean, I miss the marathon telethons. And did you know his son, Gary Lewis and the Playboys? I don't think I did. This diamond ring doesn't mean what it meant to be. What it oh. meant. Oh, his son was a, had a band in the uh, 60s. Wow. And they were very, and they're, you'll have to look them up, his songs. Huh. Interesting. Okay. He was, a, he was a lousy father. Oh, he really? He was a very bad father. Huh. To, you know, he had five boys. Wow, and, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, five sons. Same as Rick Berry, who's coming on Monday. Right. Interesting. I, mean, I know, Rick Berry, uh, <laughs> I remember seeing him uh, when he played for the University of Miami. They didn't have a convention arena to play on, so they played on the beach. There was a place on Miami Beach where he played, and I went to see him. And you know, with the underhand free throws, 30, he averaged thirty-seven points in one of those seasons. He was a, a he led the he, he led the NCAA, the ABL, or and the and the right. NBA in scoring. Oh, he's. I think he's in the Hall of Fame. If he no, is, oh yeah, he's a top yeah. fifty oh, player. He was. He was incredible. And did you know his coach at the University of Miami 
I think his name was Bruce Hale. Okay. He married his daughter. Rick Berry married the coach's daughter. That's that. When you that see part it. I didn't know. I know. I know his wife was a phenomenal basketball player at, at uh, William and Mary. I'm pretty sure. He wow. lived in. He lived in uh, Northern California in Danville. Wow. I don't know if he where he lives now, but how do you like his boys? They were all great players themselves. Great players, and uh, if the roster sizes had been uh, bigger, one of his sons would have played for the Celtics. They they told him as much, but they only had twelve roster spots back then, like uh, as opposed to now where they have fifteen. And he's got another son right now in the G League Canyon. He shoots underhand as well. Uh-huh. It must be. Uh, I, I bet there's a second marriage with a second family in there. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, because there was a big gap there with that, with the last yeah. son, for sure. Uh, okay, which MJ? Michael Jackson, Magic Johnson, or Michael Jordan? Well, I got to go with Magic Johnson, because he's from East Lansing, and I'm in go. Michigan. That's right. And I remember when he made Allstate, and I saved the paper. Wow. And I have, I have the paper, the sports section, when Magic made Allstate. And he wow. had the biggest fro that you yes. could see. Yes. Okay. Big I remember fro. that. But uh, he revolutionized the big man playing the guard position. At Absolutely. Six, at six foot nine, you know, or Penny Hardaway, six seven, and, and playing guard. Usually guards were small. Guards now can do everything a small guy does and better, and they're bigger. But he changed the whole position. Remember in the championship game, he played all the positions and scored Absolutely. like 42 points. Amazing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, one of the best ever. Uh, which uh, which uh, college coach do you like to watch now besides oh. Izzo? Well, I watch Izzo, and I've seen a lot of changes in, in the way he coaches the game. Yeah. Uh, Greg Campy, I, I admire him quite a bit. He's the coach at Oakland University. Mm-hmm. And uh, just so that people know, if wherever you're listening, we've been in 29 countries, we have people listening all over the place. Oakland University is Division One, but it is an afterthought in the state of Michigan. And so they get, you know, the the remainder of the scraps typically. And for that program to be doing what they're doing is he's <laughs> built, Mike, he is it's built unbelievable. It he's built it up. He's getting uh, kids from the portal. Yeah. And this this program. This team he has now may be the best team he's ever had. I think he could be the the best uh, mid-major Division One team in the whole country. He's that good. He played Michigan State uh, not long ago at Little Caesars Arena, and mm-hmm. and he lost by twelve to to yep. uh, Izzo. Yep. It was close. He gave Izzo all he could handle, yep. and what really what he's missing is. A, a big guy. If he had a six eleven guy, yep, that's it. Yeah, but, the top uh, twenty, absolutely. I like watching all the coaches. I, 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 I listen to the uh, announcers how they basically the the, the guy who does the play by play or mm-hmm. color guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the color guy because he's coaching the team. Yeah, and if you listen carefully, they're knowledgeable. They don't. They just don't put anybody in those positions. Mm-hmm. And when you listen to them. You're, you're, you're learning a lot from them on things that if you were a coach that you could take back to your team. But I love watching all the coaches. They're, they're all very interesting characters. 
And I'm glad they don't have to wear sport jackets and ties anymore. I never, <laughs> never felt that was necessary. Yeah, uh, definitely have, have uh, relaxed a little bit, especially since the pandemic started. So speaking of announced color commentators, do you prefer Steve Lavin, Bill Walton, or Dickie V? Lavin. Wow. Uh, okay. Uh, Bill Walton uh, talks too much. <laughs> okay. And uh, Dick Vitale is a cheerleader with uh, aircraft carrier and baby this and baby that. <laughs> but Lavin gives you introspect to the game. Mm -hmm. And that, and at where I'm coming from, that's what I look for. I don't need the cheerleading and all the gabbly gook that Walton does. Right. Yeah. Lavin all the time. Yeah, he was on the show also. He was he was amazing. I like uh, Lavin a lot. Yeah, Lav's great. Good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. Uh, Steph Curry or Isaiah Thomas? Uh, probably the better all-around point guard was Isaiah Thomas. The better shooter, Curry. So if you were starting a team today, who would you take first? I'd probably take Isaiah because it, he, he shows more leadership in, in directing a team. Well, we'll see when it's all said and done if that's actually the case, because Steph is uh, up to his leadership this year in particular. Oh, I know. Yeah. But yeah, I, I would probably agree with you. The scales are are, are tipped, maybe 51-49, not by very much. It's awful close. <laughs> awful close, yeah. Um, MJ or LeBron? Michael Jordan. Larry or Kobe? Kobe. Wow. Bill Russell or Kareem? Oh, gee. <laughs> Both so great in their own right. Yeah. Uh, Russell with 11 championship rings yeah. Yeah. Uh, at San Francisco. A tremendous uh, rebounder, not a great scorer. Right. But Kareem, who holds the record of the most points in the NBA lifetime. Yeah. I probably would take Kareem. Yeah. Unstoppable with the skyhook. Both right. highly intelligent men, too. Absolutely. Rocky Marciano, Muhammad Ali. Joe Lewis or Mike Tyson? <laughs> oh, man. Joe Lewis, I've met. Wow. I met him. Um, Rocky Marciano, I've met him, too. I met him wow, in what in Catskill Mountains in South Fallsburg, New York, when I was spending wow. the summer when I was about 10 years old, uh, getting a haircut in South Fallsburg. I was staying with my aunt and the Barber says to me, hey, kid, you know who's in that chair next to you? And I was 10 years old, and I really didn't. What did I know about boxing? Wow. No, he says, that's Rocky Marciano, the champ. Oh, and, he, oh, and I got his autograph. Unbelievable. Uh, and, you know, he's the only heavyweight boxer that has never lost. Did you know that? I don't think I knew never that. Never lost, ever. Rocky Marciano, wow. perfect, uh, whatever he won in zero. What and, a thing uh, to happen to you the year after your dad died, too. I, I know. Well, I was staying with my aunt just for the summer oh. to try to take my mind off of what happened to us. Well, there you go. There is a sign from your dad. Yeah. Right. So Rocky Marciano. Unbelievable. Joe Lewis, I shook hands with him. Wow. I put my hand out in his. I couldn't find mine anymore. <laughs> his hand was so big, it just wrapped around mine oh. so i got his autograph and uh it was it was really something to me and i used to see him at vegas uh joe lewis he was a greeter there and wow. i used to see him there 
occasionally when I went there. But uh, yeah, those are my stories with the boxers. The, the two autographs are in my son-in-law's house and it's framed. And in that frame are the pictures with the autograph and the telltale of the tape, you know, height, weight. And yeah, yeah, that. yeah. And wow. he's got it. Amazing. So you didn't answer the question. Would you go with Ali as the best boxer? With Probably, yes. Yeah. The most skilled boxer, without a doubt. Well. And smart. Well, hey. his humanitarian work went far beyond the boxing <laughs> ring. He was yeah. rapping when, the, when nobody even knew what rapping was. <laughs> wow. I mean, think about he put rhymes together and how right. he beat his opponent. That's it true. Have the, and it had the beat. It just didn't have the music behind it. That's that's absolutely correct. That's that's a great point. Uh, Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods? Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer in my lifetime. Tiger Woods is incredible. Incredible, yeah. And went across a lot of barriers too to have success, which isn't often talked about. Often criticized because of his lack of social injustice work, but uh, he went across a lot of lines in his own way. And you know, maybe he'll do more at the tail end of his career and with his son, you know, now yeah. coming, coming to prominence, uh, dishes or vacuuming. You've been married a long time. As we talked about, I do both. Wow. What about laundry? I, I wash dishes. Uh, I, 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 well, I don't do the laundry, <laughs> but, but I can fold. I know how to fold clothes Wow. and, uh, I'm very good at ironing. Wow. And I did all those things to help my mother out. So when she would come home That's from right. work, a lot of those things were done wow. ahead of time. Wow. But I, yeah, I vacuum. That doesn't mean Rita can't do it. I just don't let her do it. I tell, I tell her, I'll, I'll do it. You don't have to do it. Another mensch that we've talked about today is sitting on the other side of this computer. Uh, Bing Crosby, Nat King Cole, Billy Holiday, or Duke Ellington? Gee. Uh, Bing Crosby. Wow. Bingo, Scrabble, Rummy Q, or Monopoly? Monopoly. Wow. Because of the grandkids? Yeah, I play occasionally with them. Not often, <laughs> but. I, I've brought board games back to my, my 11-year-old daughter because, uh, you know, if we don't keep that. I've seen you playing with a million. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Famous phrases from the 50s that we don't really say anymore. Cruising for a bruising, knuckle sandwich, or burn rubber? Burn rubber. Famous phrases of the 2000s, bling or dope? Well, dope for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fire or lit? Fire or what? Lit, L-I-T. Like that's lit. Oh, that's it. Uh, lit. <laughs> what up, dope? Right. What up? That's another and, good one. And, and Robert Brown would laugh at me, you know, saying, what up, dope? But, uh, I said, hey, I'm, I'm always around you. I got to be able to understand what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and a lot of the times uh, on the show, I talk a lot about uh, music and the influence of music in the black and brown communities, fashion mm -hmm. uh, and entertainment, because a lot of times they're, they're trendsetters in, the, in those areas. Um, chill out or you're tripping? You're tripping. Now, you played baseball growing up as well. Uh, yeah. Should Pete should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Yeah, I agree. Hey, I, Karen, I, oh, go ahead. I think you have to separate 
Yeah. What he did on the baseball diamond from the wrong he did on betting on teams. Yeah. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, or Jackie Robinson? All three. <laughs> Brady or Montana? Brady, for sure. Okay. Phil Jackson or Popovich? Phil Jackson. Hmm. Favorite U.S. president of all time? John F. Kennedy. Hmm. Boy, how did, that must have impacted you tremendously when that happened. I remember the day he got shot. Watched it on television live. And this country, I've never seen people who are strangers to him crying because that family represented Camelot and everybody could relate to that family. And to this day, they still do. People are fascinated with the Kennedys. He was, he was a great... He would, I think if he would have lived and Martin Luther King would have lived, it would, Martin Luther King might have been a vice president, mm -hmm. you know, eventually. Uh, yeah. It's a shame we'll never know. But yeah. what, a, what a great man John F. Kennedy was. It's yeah. too bad his life yeah. was taken from him. Yeah. And Martin Luther King. So you're a girl dad to two girls. You want to sure. yeah. talk about how amazing that experience has been and now seeing you know them have children well having my daughter jamie was a highlight of my life hmm. and when rita was pregnant with andrea people would say to me uh you want a son don't you and i said if it can be as great as having a daughter i'll take another daughter hmm. and sure enough i got another daughter <laughs> and i never had a son hmm. i I don't you feel had a lot bad. Of sons, actually. What? You had a lot of sons, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of sons. But uh, I didn't miss anything by not having a biological son. Mm -hmm. Daughters were always a, a part of everything I did. And they went to all the basketball games. Uh, Jamie's been in every gym, Highland Park, E-Course, Robichaud, Willow Run, River Rouge. Uh, you name it, she's been in all of them. Andrea, too. They kept the charts for me, so they were involved. So it wasn't just a basketball job for me and to come home, but it was something that was talked about at the dinner table every evening. Mm -hmm. uh, and my family was a part of it. When we had a home game in, say, in Oak Park, they would come down, and we would all eat at Dexter Davis and Coney Island. Yeah. And go over to the JV game and they rode the bus with me and they were a part of it and uh, those are memories that will last forever well, I'm one of those memories because I they were in the gym during middle school right. and they were little kids and I remember them running around at halftime and just you know loving being a part of that atmosphere well today they're 40 years old and they each have their own two children amazing What's your favorite uh, dish or food at uh, Coney Island? Uh, I like the, uh, the the salad, you know, mm. that oh, yeah. Leo's, Leo's Coney Island. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the hot dog with all with the onions. Oh, heavy, heavy on the onions. Oh, man. Amazing. Okay, a couple more questions and we'll let you go. It's been amazing. Um, Biggest keys to your incredible wife and your successful marriage of nearly 50 years? Never argue. Disagree, maybe, but never an argument. And uh, 
she's been a, an incredible supporter of me as I am of her. And we, we're a partnership and uh, the love has lasted all these years. In fact, I always say to her, you know, we, all, we won't be together forever. I want to die first. And she says, what? I said, because I can't stand the thought of being alone. Oh. Mm. So. What does, she, um, what does she say to that? She walk out of the room? Don't talk like that. <laughs> right. Don't talk, don't talk like, like that. that. Yeah. Okay. So what will happen first? The Lions will win a Super Bowl. The Tigers will win a World Series. The Pistons an NBA championship or the Red Wings a Stanley Cup? Tigers will win a championship first. Wow. They're rebuilding and I think they're, they're making great strides. Who will, who will win uh, their respective championship last? The Detroit Lions. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for them. Do you like but the I coach? Think, what? I like the coach? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think losing game after game after game and getting them to play hard and play together tells you something about him. He's, he's creating a culture and I, I think and I hope it will change before I die. Yeah. I remember the last championship back in 57 yep. when Joe Schmidt played and all those guys. And it's been a long time. But I, I think he's doing it the right way. And I think they'll be better next year. I hope so. We've, we say that every year. Our, our best day of the year is the NFL draft. Well, All right, last question. Uh, if you could have any five people at your dinner table, past or present, dead or alive, but it has to be people you do not know. What did five I, did I do not know? Do not know. Five people at your dinner table, past or present, dead or alive, who would be at your dinner table? Well, I'd like to have John Wooden there. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I, I did correspond with him and he did correspond with me, but to actually know him. No, I didn't know him. I'd like to have John Wooden there. I'd like to have Moses be there. I'd like John F. Kennedy to be there. I'd like wow. to have Martin Luther King be there. How many is that? Four? That's four. Any females at the table? Uh, let's see. A female. Yeah. The, the, uh, our, our Jewish Supreme Court judge that just passed away. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, great Absolutely, call. great woman. Man, that would be a great dinner table. What a conversation that would be. Can you imagine? Unbelievable. But you know what? The game of basketball has done so much good for me. Mm. Uh, it has rewarded me like you can't imagine. Uh, when, I, when I start coaching it, I never coached it for my own personal fame. Yeah. It wasn't really about me. Uh, it was about the kids, but I got to tell you one quick thing. Yeah, go ahead. When I remember once you were, uh, at my house, I was someplace else. And when I, and I had a basket on my driveway and when I came home, there you were shooting the ball, <laughs> the sweat was just ringing off of you. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Right. Yep. And I'll never forget that the, the way you were working so hard at that one basket and, and uh, till I came home and the way you were all so sweaty, that shirt, you could take it and just wring out the sweat from it. Never forget that. 
Yeah, well, uh, it's largely because of you, and I, and you know, people uh, don't necessarily know the story who are listening to this t- today. I, you know, I, I want to make sure everyone knows. Uh, you know, I got cut three times growing up: uh, once in middle school, once in high school, and then once again in college. And if it wasn't for your encouragement, if it wasn't for the letter that you wrote to my Hall of Fame junior college coach, you know, uh, just saying, "Hey, give this kid a chance." Uh, you know, same thing with Dick Rice, just saying, "Hey, what's it gonna hurt to have him on the team?" You know, and it just gave me an opportunity. And even though it wasn't the greatest experience, it still opened a lot of doors. And 30 years later, like you, I'd like to think that I'm paying it forward. And, um, you know, because of people like you, Richard Maltz, uh, Mr. Emanuel, you know, men in my life, coaches in my life that that uh, basically replaced the the father that that I didn't have. I'm forever and eternally grateful for for you. And thank you, Mike. You know what we are is we are bridge builders. Absolutely. Okay, we, we build the bridge so that the others can go over it to the other side. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they will learn and they will build a bridge for the kids coming Absolutely. and do the same thing. Well, and that's uh, where we need to focus our attention with uh, the children of our future to change a lot of these narratives in this country so that we create a more equitable society for everybody and you've certainly done that and i've done that we're, we're both allies and and uh it's it's been amazing to watch your career and uh enjoying your retirement now and you know being a grandfather and um fascinating fascinating story and the chapters are, are still yet to be determined the, the, the one last thing i want to tell you is what summed it all up was being nominated and admitted to the Michigan Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. Yes. It's something that I never thought about. Amazing. Didn't even know about it. Uh, but when it was presented to me, it kind of like tied everything together. Uh, but I never coached basketball to get these awards. Right. I coached it, honestly, because I loved the game and I wanted to help the kids. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't about me. It was a, it's their game. It was about them. And yep. I need to do the same thing I do. Amazing and well-deserved. And uh, like, like you said, the game will be there long after we're gone and we were just a part of it and uh, just trying to uphold and maintain the integrity of it. And I, I promised everybody I would tell this story before we uh, let you go. So seventh grade, I'm sitting in the fifth row, second seat. I remember. And uh, you were my, my teacher. I think it was history. My memory serves me correctly. Or social, social studies. Social studies, yeah. And so you saw me chewing. I remember what kind of gum it was. It was sugar-free bubble yum. <laughs> and so you were like, you're not allowed to chew gum in my class. I'm like, okay. So you like, Mike, Michael, please throw the gum away. So I was respectful. I got up and proceeded to throw the gum away in the garbage can. I sat back down. You continued to teach. And I reached in my pocket and grabbed another piece of gum and put it in my mouth. And you said, what are you, you know, what are you doing? And I just told you to throw the gum out. You got another piece of gum in your mouth. I said, well, you told me to throw the gum away. You didn't tell me I couldn't reach in my pocket and grab another piece of gum and put it in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I saw in you was, a, was me. And uh, I, I wanted to make sure that you got a chance and an opportunity. And even though I never really coached you or, or you played for me. Yeah, you came the year after I left, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. Uh, I wanted to make sure that you realized some of that passion that you had for the game. So that's how we got to Gaucher College. 
And yeah. the best part is you didn't have to pay for it, did you? Well, it was a D3 school, but I ended up playing on the first team in the history of the school. And right. so they wanted guys so badly. Uh, I think my family ended up paying about 2500 a year for a $35,000 a year education. So not so bad for, for using the round ball to, you know, as you say, as a vehicle. It's a vehicle. Yeah. Right. Amazing. That's right. I helped 20 kids go to realize their dream and play college Absolutely. basketball. 20 of them got played college basketball, three Absolutely. pros in Europe and a uh, couple of districts, couple of regional finals Amazing. and a couple uh, coach of the years. Number hey, one ranking. I, yep. Number one ra- ranked most of the time in every year I coached yep. except the bad teams, but I did it. We've all had bad teams. And I do miss it to this day. Yeah. Well, it's never too late. You can always come out here and be my assistant coach as I've offered for the last uh, right. how many years. Right. Right. <laughs> but you have to bring Rita with you and she's got a seat on the bench she'll, uh, and a seat at my table. And, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, fascinating stuff. Uh, love you and can't Funny. thank you enough for coming on the show. It was amazing. Thank you very much. All right. Say hi to everybody. Thanks I will. On. We'll talk soon and stay, stay safe, be healthy and uh, much love to you and the family. Okay, thanks, Mike. God bless you. You do great work. Keep on doing it. All right, thanks, Howard. Uh, There you go, ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Hall of Fame coach, Howard Golding. Can't thank him enough for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed that incredible interview. And uh, remember, Black Lives Matter. Stop the bullying. Stop the Asian hate. And contact your local and state politicians for any injustices that you feel are happening to any individual or group. Also wanted to remind all of you, if you're having a tough time, you can always call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And that number is 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. And they are available 24-7, 365 days a year. You can also always check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok, at Mike Hootner. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, Breaking Tea, Sport RX, PSK Collective, City Lokes, and Moolah Kicks, which you can see right here up on the screen. You can search them online at BreakingTea.com, SportRx.com, PSKCollective.com, MoolahKicks.com, and CityLokes.com. And if you'd like to support us at the Sports Deli, we'd love to have you either make a one-time donation or feel free to make a donation monthly, either $0.99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. If you have uh, questions about that, send me an email again to thesportsdeli at gmail.com and I will send you the link on how you can do that. Uh, you can also find it at the bottom of every podcast on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcast link at the bottom to support the show. And remember, you can always send us an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com. Please check out our website at thesportsdelipodcast.com. Remember, it takes a village. And until next time, for Dr. J and Coach K, I'm Hootie Hoot. Much love. Peace. <laughs>